Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Looking to throw over the middle and into the end zone. Touchdown, Arizona State. We support each other's uh, teams the rest of the year, but during this game, all bets are off. That was all Keaton Slovis. Wow, what a play by him. One man to beat 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, a new NCAA record. Dante Pettis. Washington State has found a way to move the ball. It's incredible what we're seeing here in Pullman tonight. Touchdown, Oregon. They fake the handoff. Justin Herbert delivers a dart. I went to HR several times uh, about how the Duck fans treat me. Touchdown, Utah. I mean, this is the Pac-12 we're talking about. Anytime, anywhere, anyone. But is that really the case with BYU? Well, we're going to find out here on Believe in the Pac-12. Welcome, everybody, to Believe in the Pac-12. My name is Jonathan Rifkin. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Ryan Leaf, who predicted that BYU may go down the route that brought both Washington and Oregon fans together, not something you typically see in the college football world. We're going to get to that. We have a whole slate of games to recap, maybe a little all-state playoff predictor uh, from ESPN to discuss. And then Greg McElroy from ESPN and Sirius XM will join us later on in the show. But Ryan, before we get to all of that, how was your week of college football? It was wonderful. Uh, unfortunately, of course, my Cougars couldn't go uh, because of COVID protocols and people were fighting figuring it out. We got to see Utah for the first time, which was really good. So uh, I, I had a good weekend. Big 10 was was on fire. The Big 10 conference was on fire. The best games of the day were definitely in the Big 10 between Wisconsin, Northwestern uh, and uh, Ohio State and Indiana. I mean, you you predicted it. If Northwestern beat Wisconsin, they were going to jump into the college football playoff conversation. The All-State playoff predictor came out this morning. We're filming it on or recording this on, on Monday evening, West Coast. Um, Alabama one, Notre Dame two, Ohio State three, Cincinnati clocking in at four at 60%, and then Northwestern right outside the top four at 51%. The only Pac-12 team to be shown in the top six of the playoff predictor is USC at 2%. They trail Texas A&M and BYU, only behind them to Clemson and Florida. So Northwestern with a big win over Wisconsin really puts them in the conversation for the college football playoff. And once again, really hurts the Pac-12's opportunity of getting a team in. Uh, Indiana losing to uh, Ohio State only moved back two spots. So great game, as you mentioned. Uh, But the college football slate was really, uh, really prevalent for the Pac-12. USC-Utah was a game where I think, Ryan, that we, we expected USC to win. 
how much of this game was a testament to USC finally looking a little bit better, and how much was it a testament to Utah playing their season opener with a bunch of freshmen, including two freshman cornerbacks, that Slovis just absolutely targeted the entire game? Yeah, I think it's a little of both. I think they, they looked better. They did. I mean, they still were, were uh, you know, not very responsible with the football early on. And uh, if they were playing more of a seasoned team, I, I think this could have been different. What I did take away from what USC has produced so far was the barely there win against Arizona. That one for me is going to be more meaningful than, than this one. Uh, first game out, Utah was decimated. Uh, their quarterback, who they decided to go with, gets injured on the first couple series. Uh, and Jake Bentley has to come in and and always when you get beat out by beat out by a younger guy for a job, you are not really that in tune with with what the game plan was. And he looked like he was just kind of running all over the place for a while out there. Defense looked much better for USC, I would say that. But uh, I wouldn't take too much stock in it. Um, you know, I don't have USC in my in my top twenty five. You know, they're 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 not a team that that I think is uh, capable of being in the top twenty five yet. So. Um, I expect Colorado to give them a hell of a game next week and then Washington state, if they get that opportunity and then UCLA is really damn good. So the, the final three games for USC are just as complicated as the first three for them. Um, we'll see how that plays out. But as of right now, the best thing for Washington and Oregon is a USC team that's undefeated in the South. That would be the best thing or Colorado or Colorado's another team that could still be undefeated though. They have one game down because they didn't get to play a week ago. So uh, the best thing for them is to have a undefeated South team playing them in the Pac-12 championship, whoever that may be. Yeah, it's important for this conference if they can get some sort of credibility with the committee to push a team into the college football playoff. It comes down. I don't think, I don't think, I don't think the committees, you're not going to get any credibility from the committee on the Pac-12. It's just, it's not going to happen. Oregon has already presented themselves as a brand. That's got them moving forward. I expect them to be in the top 10 tonight, but I, I don't think there's any credibility to the Pac-12 in terms of what the committee needs. Uh, they're either going to put Oregon in or they're not. They just need maybe some excuses. So USC sure. needs to be undefeated or a Washington team needs to be undefeated when they play in the season finale before the Pac-12 championship week. You talk about prevalence for Washington, how important strength of schedule is. They looked really good against Arizona, 44-27. That, that score is actually closer than the game really was. Um, it, they shut them out in the first half. It wasn't even close. It was 27 Arizona points in the fourth. Like, it, it was sort of a lackluster fourth quarter for Washington. Um, the whole BYU situation. You said it on Wednesday on ESPNU Sirius XM that BYU was, gonna be, was reached out to by Washington and they want to avoid that game because if they lose, then there goes the whole BYU hype train on the national scale and with the college football playoff committee. How important is it for Washington to get a game like that on their schedule, given the, the lack of strength of schedule in the Pac-12 North and their crossover game, just not being really a strong um, opportunity for them to make a statement? Well, I think the North... I think all, I mean, the fact that they're in the North is better because I think the North is more, uh, more competitive and that will show for, for the committee. But it, losing that game in week one against Cal is huge because now you're going to have, you know, five games unless you can get one made up. And um, now that you're going to miss another one, 
you're talking about this team having four four games played when the when the final weekend comes down. So they need to search for somebody. They're going to find somebody this weekend. If Arizona State can't go, which there's still a lot of, you know, hope that they can. I'm not hearing it's very optimistic. But if they can't go, then I would suspect Washington and Utah figure out a way to get it done. But San Diego State now has entered the has entered the fray. And San Diego State's a very good team. Uh, they took Nevada to the very end on the road last week. And Nevada is probably the, the best in the Mountain West next to maybe Boise State. I would be surprised if, if Nevada wins the Mountain West this year. Carson Strong has been uh, as good as advertised. I knew where he was going to be a year ago when I called a few of their games. Um, but what they really could have utilized is the BYU strength of schedule part of it in terms of a top 10 opponent. And I, I just said that a week ago that you can't – BYU can't do this. Um, they can't play a Power 5 team that is that's a good Power 5 team uh, because they can't put at risk their New Year's Six bowl money. That's huge. An undefeated season, a, a ability to recruit off that, all of that stuff uh, exists for a reason. And, you know, you can talk a lot of smack. You can wear shirts. You can put things up on social media that says anytime, anywhere, anyone <laughs> – if you want, but that's not the case. You know, they, they wanted some, um, they wanted some boundaries that they could control in this. And when you're, when you're the underdog trying to get into the big dance, it's, they need a win over a power five opponent, opponent to even be in consideration. I think tonight you see, you'll see that they may not even be in the top 10 tonight uh, or tomorrow night when the committee decides to roll out their national rankings, but for the first time, so they needed this, and you can't go out and say that and then have an opportunity to present itself with the likes of Washington. Oregon would have loved this, right? They want Washington to have the most bolstered resume they have when they play Washington in the final game of the year um, because that will help their resume moving forward with a, with a win against an undefeated uh, Washington team that, that had beat a top-10 team. Uh, that would get them into the, the top 25 and probably rank pretty high when they would play and then a win against a USC team that might be ranked near the top 10 uh, if the committee can, or if the committee decides to keep them uh, in the top 20 here after three lackluster wins on their part. Last thing here on BYU. If I'm a player on BYU, I'm well aware that odds are there's a lot of doubt surrounding my program. And as a player on that team, I'm competitive and I want the opportunity to go and play a Washington or an Oregon because I want to get out there and prove my stripes. I want to prove my worth and show that we're not just this team beating up on group of five teams in Northern Alabama. We're actually legitimate in this conversation. How much of the onus is on the athletic department versus the actual athletes? Because to me, again, if I'm, if I'm an, if I'm Zach Wilson, I want to match up against Washington. I want to match up against Oregon. If it, the athletic department doesn't seem like it's doing it, its team a service by stripping them or withholding an opportunity to give them that chance. Is that the something athletic, that, the, yeah. the athletic department is the adult in the room and they're doing the right thing. They're not allowing, you know, 18 to 22 year olds to make emotional judgmental calls. You know, that's, that's the reason they're there. You need some pragmatism uh, if, if the inmates were running the asylum, it's, it's 
it's all out, you know, it, it, they'll, they'll, just like the fact that they're playing in a pandemic. If you leave it to an 18 to 22 year old, they're going to play, they're going to play and they're going to play because they think they're Superman and they're unbeatable and nothing's ever going to happen to them. You need an adult in the room at some point to make sure and advocate for people doing the right thing. And guess what? These athletic departments are hemorrhaging money. What's the best way to get the most optimal amount of money for BYU right now is to play in a New Year's Six Bowl game, whether that is in a college football playoff scenario or in the New Year's Six games. That's, that's how you get the most money out of all of this. That's how you build your program. And that's important. You know, the players want it. Yeah, they want to compete. They want to go. Don't do it. Don't, you know, don't let, don't let your appetite, uh, you know, you know, or don't let your eyes ruin what, what your appetite is, is telling you, right? You're not going to be Washington. You're not, uh, you're not going to beat Oregon. You know, if you get an opportunity to play, you know, a Colorado team, maybe we don't know too much about Colorado two and O, but a two and O Colorado team, maybe jump at that. Um, but you know, don't take on the monsters of the North or you're going to, you're going to regret that when you're playing in the armed services bowl for, for pennies on the dollar. So, so far, no word on uh, BYU's bye week in this upcoming week. Washington, as you mentioned, or you alluded to, San Diego State is an option if Utah isn't um, the next viable option, or if they have to play Arizona State. I've been talking to people down here in San Diego. They don't want San Diego State to play Washington because they know that they'll probably get pummeled. Um, you mentioned one of the best in the non-West. Nevada's 5-0, and man, and you said that, right? Nevada's 5-0 and for the first time since, like, the 80s or 70s, something crazy like that. Um, you're right. San Diego State played them well, but uh, that front seven looking really bad, and they're really worried against um, what has been a very good off-the-cuff off the rushing team for Washington that they, they won't be able to stop them. Um, nonetheless, Washington needs a game. They need a game, um, and they're going to find somebody – on that schedule. So Washington beat Arizona 44-27. If Arizona doesn't though, win a game. Though, th- th- no, they, they may not find a game. They may go for a third consecutive week where they are, uh, where they, you know, two out of the three weeks, they will not play a game. There's, there's a very solid chance that that happens because if San Diego State doesn't do it and BYU doesn't do it, who else is going to do it non-conference-wise that tests the same way the Pac-12 does in this amount of time? We are on a Monday already. So, I mean, there, there's just as good a chance that Washington doesn't play this week that they do. All of that remains to be seen. Um, Arizona, 0-2 if they go winless this season. Is Kevin Sumlin done? I, you know, I like I told you before, difficult to say in terms of what the optics look like in athletic departments and the amount of money, um, how much time's left on a contract, what a buyout looks like. Um, you know, I, I thought it was going to be really difficult. South Carolina did not have a problem pulling the trigger on that deal. So that was almost 13 to $15 million in a buyout. So, I mean, if you can have, if you can find a donor that's willing to say, Hey, you know, let's get rid of the guy, you know, who has the money, then you do it. Um, but Kevin Sumlin is well-liked. And I, I, I expect, regardless of what we see this year, this is the first year he's actually getting his own quarterback in, Leo, in, uh, in Mazzoni's offense. So, you know, I'm, I'm sure they'll, they'll let it play out. Um, but I wouldn't expect him to necessarily be gone if they, if they lose all their games and all of a sudden you're, you're looking at a, a team that's lost 
what, 14 consecutive yep. conference games. That may be, that may be enough, but I hope they don't. I hope they give him one more chance with a real season, with a full spring, his recruits, all the things that go into it. Uh, I, I hope they do because I think he's a heck of a coach. Yeah, I agree. And I think Grant Gannell is, is the guy. He's, he's a fantastic quarterback. He's had a great first two weeks, three touchdowns in both games. He had one interception, uh, 260 yards. And he's only, I mean, his incompletions, 12 incompletions last week on 40 pass attempts. So um, I, I've liked what I've seen from him. I think you have too, if memory serves correct. Um, but they need to protect him. He's getting hurried more than any other quarterback in the conference right now. And I think that uh, that is a big deal for somebody who's still developing within that offense. Um, and, let, okay. and let's oh, not yeah. let's let's not get too carried away with with his stats from last week because uh, they were meaningless. Oh, especially in that fourth quarter. Um, rewinding here on the day, Oregon UCLA. You had a tenuous gift with me because I said that Chase Griffin feels like he fits better into that offense than DTR. Uh, now it could have been just because UCLA was playing a great game because Chase Griffin himself just looked, for me, in my opinion, looked more comfortable in the pocket and he was making better decisions than I've seen DCR make in the sample size that we've seen from him. Maybe Chase Griffin just was amped that he finally got to start a college football game against um, the 11th ranked team in the nation. I don't know. To me, he just looked very good. Um, with that being said. Until he didn't. And, right, exactly. Um, until Oregon finally decided to play some defense. Obviously, uh, we heard that Noah Sewell this morning, this being, again, Monday evening, that he is actually good to go. Mario Cristobal said that he is looking normal. That is big because Oregon, again, no Justin Flo. Kayvon went down, but it, it sounds like he's good as well. Um, they were just cramping. So that front seven desperately needs its starters because they have not been very good. Um, Demetrius Felton, let's start with him. A lot of comparisons to Alvin Kamara on the broadcast. I strongly disagree with those comparisons, but he did have a good game overall. Offensively for UCLA, were you impressed? Definitely. And if, if, do you want to make a comparison to Alvin Kamara? He looks very much like Alvin Kamara did in college at Tennessee in his final year. So I understand where the comparison is. Everybody jumps to the pro version of Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara at Tennessee hardly got any run, hardly at all. And Felton's been able to do similar things, but in a much more substantial way. So that is the, that is the fit at the next level where they think he could play at. And, and I think he's a very, very, very good football player. Now, what UCLA was able to do against Oregon, I thought was really impressive. They limited uh, Oregon offensively in something that I didn't necessarily think they were going to be able to do. They limited the running game. They made Tyler Chuck look confused at times. Uh, and, and, and if you want to go back, you go to the final play of the first half again, just like the week before. They were down huge. They throw a bomb, get a touchdown right before half to make it a closer game with Washington State last week, they get a Hail Mary flipped around on them for an interception return for a touchdown to take the lead at halftime. That, those points end up being the reason they win the football game. So all-encompassing, all the way around, play to the final whistle. That's perfect Mario Cristobal. He doesn't care what the committee looks like on Tuesday night. They are getting ready to play this game this weekend against Oregon State in their Civil War. Devin Williams, the USC transfer, emerged for the Ducks as the top receiver, six for 123 and a touchdown. He's so physical and he is big. Oh, he's so big. So oh, big. He's incredible. Yeah. Um, and, and you can tell the chemistry between he and Shuck are, is really building. Shuck, 19 completions for 334 yards. Uh, and, I mean, 
again, you take out the yardage, it's not a very impressive stat line, but they were getting yards in chunks when they were completing passes. And so I think that largely led to him having a great game. He currently leads the, the conference in QBR and, and, um, and quarter and uh, excuse me, yards per pass completion. Overall, is Chuck to you the best quarterback in this conference? Um, no, no, I haven't had, I haven't been able to see who the best quarterback in this conference is. Uh, Jebby has looked as good as anybody this year. You know, Dylan Morris looked actually um, really good on Saturday night. So uh, I'm not, you know, ready to make that, that claim. He's played three games in his career against, uh, you know, not super talented defenses. We'll see when, when that really when that Washington game crops up uh, is the game that I'm really looking forward to in terms of what those two powerhouses look like in the North. You talk about Tristan Jebbia, Oregon State quarterback, transfer from Nebraska from my hometown of Calabasas. He's, he's had a pretty good few games. Caught uh, a touchdown pass last week on a trick play. That was pretty cool. Overall, finally a game under – a win under the belt for the season for Oregon State and Jonathan Smith. Chase Garber's 315 yards, but again, two interceptions. Didn't look as impressive as the Chase Garbers that we've seen in years past. Uh, what's your take on this Cal offense and the Justin Wilcox defense? Because, again, another defensive performance that felt underwhelming from Cal. Well, I, I think that Oregon State's very, uh, very good offensively. I think they run the ball extremely well. I mean, big plays, right? Two 70-plus yard touchdowns to open the game for, for Oregon state, they had 14 points on only two plays. So that makes a big difference. And then Jebby and, and, and that team somehow willed their way to get a win. They were close in the first two games against Washington state and Washington. This time they were able to get it done versus Cal Cal and two, you know, this is just going to be a, a slug it out. Good thing for Chase Carver's this game, this, this uh, season doesn't count towards his eligibility. He can really use it as developmental and, and come out swinging next year when they get the chance. Yeah, yes. Oregon State, uh, one and two, Cal 0 and two. We're going to see how those two programs pan out. But that's the recap of the week, guys. Stick with us. Greg McElroy on the other side is going to join us. Ryan Leaf, Jonathan Rifkin, Believe in the Pac-12 here on the Believe Podcast Network. We'll be back in a moment with Greg. As promised, Greg McElroy, ESPN College Football Analyst and Sirius XM College Football Insider joining us here on Believe in the Pac-12. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. No, you got it. Glad to do it. Thanks, you guys. Greg, buddy, uh, this season, a lot of us didn't think it would happen. Then it has. More and more games being canceled every single week, yet we're looking at who can just do the next right thing and get to the final. What have you taken away from the last couple weeks and the fact that we're at the first college football playoff rankings and college football is still going forward. Well, that's the thing. I, I think there's been so much attention, Ryan, paid to the cancellations week in and week out. And the fact that we're having more and more is troubling and concerning. Uh, but I've chosen, or at least tried to choose. You are obviously, you have an obligation to the listener, so you have to discuss what's going on front of mind. But I have really tried, at least in the last few weeks, to focus on what we have as opposed to what we don't have. Meaning, I don't want to think about the 18 games that were canceled last week. I want to focus on the fact that we had 35 that were ready to rock. You know, and that's kind of how I've had to adjust 
my thinking a little bit. And it hasn't really been easy because there have been a lot of examples in which I've had friends associated with one particular school. They've had seven cancellations. And then I've had some friends that have had none. You know, so it's just, it's just troubling. And uh, it's unfortunate. I feel bad for the players, especially when the game's canceled on Friday or Saturday. Uh, knowing how much week you put into the week, uh, work you put into the week leading up, and then not being able to pay it off in the end would be disappointing. But uh, especially if you did what you were supposed to do and the other team didn't have the numbers or whatever it may be, it's completely out of your control. So uh, it's been hard, but we're here. And, and I think at this point, if you were to tell me that we would have had you know, upwards of 450 games played in college football, I think most of us would have told you that was highly unlikely. But here we are, and uh, we're taking it one day at a time, and, and hopefully we can finish this thing strong. You talk about working with what we do have here, Greg. Uh, your employer, each week ESPN puts out a, a playoff predictor based on analytics and, and, and just trying to get inside the, the technicalities of the minds of the college football playoff committee. This week, Cincinnati comes in at number four, Northwestern at number five, Alabama, Notre Dame, Ohio State round out that top four. Um, Sitting outside is BYU, USC, Clemson, Florida. How much of this, of the playoff predictor, should fans, should media members take uh, to heart? How much should be taken with a grain of salt? Because, again, implications are everything, and right now implications change week by week. Yeah, I, I think the one thing that the playoff predictor is not taking into account right now is – well, Oregon's played three games. Notre Dame's played eight. How do we measure them by basically the same metrics? I'm not sure you can. And that's why I'm glad we have the human element to kind of piece this thing together. And if we were to go based almost exclusively on, well, we have the BCS. Let's use that. That's a basically a computer algorithm that puts forth the most competitive teams, the best teams. And we did that for the better part of, gosh, 17 years and crowned a worthy champion every year, I think. Uh, I don't think, I mean, granted, I think our four-team system works better, but we're going to have to rely this year, probably more than ever before, on the eye test. And that's because everyone has really unique, kind of unique ways of, of, how they're kind of putting together their conference schedule. So how can you measure a Pac-12 team against the Big Ten team? You, you can't because they're not any crossover opponents. There's no way of checking out conference supremacy rankings based on how you play in the non-conference, et cetera. Like, there's no way of doing any of that. It's basically like, all right, I'm going to put on Oregon's tape. I'm going to put on Ohio State's tape. Which one looks better? And that's unfortunate. Uh, but at least at this point, um, we have a clear cut path for the ACC champion, the SEC champion, and right now the Big Ten champion, depending on what transpires with Ohio State and Northwestern as they move along. I also think at this point, given that USC started well and Oregon started well, there's a clear path for the Pac-12 champion as well. So uh, now they still got to get to the finish line, and I don't think we should have a situation in which you make the playoff based on four games played or five games played, assuming one of those two teams have some cancellations. I'm just assuming, not just throwing that out there as a, as a possibility. So if you only play five or six games, well, I think you should be penalized. That's your conference. That's the circumstances of your conference starting late. And if there's another team that you're being measured against that played 11 games uh, and had to test negative 
each of those 11 weeks and they were able to get through that schedule with one or no losses, then they should be rewarded before that of a Big Ten champion or a Pac-12 champion. But it's all going to be very interesting because I bet every person on that college football playoff committee probably feels a little differently uh, and has their own opinion on how we should measure teams against one another. Let's talk about that committee. The, the first thing is that they're meeting in person, which I, I don't, I don't understand at all. I mean, we're, you know, you can do this virtually so easily. And, and their, their answer to that was because we're asking players and coaches to travel. Uh, we're going to travel as well. Well, the, anyway. the other thing they, what they won't tell you is they're scared of like it being hacked. So like, yeah. <laughs> like I mean, yeah. so like, like, yeah, they, they, uh, they know that they can control that little ballroom in the Gaylord Texan in Grapevine, Texas. Like, but they can't control Zoom. Like, there's no telling what could happen. and influencing the college football playoff committee's decision-making? Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, I, they, you never know. I mean, there's, like, we're, we think that there's collusion in everything nowadays. Like, so, I mean, well, do you think that there wouldn't be some type of external factor that might try to influence the college football playoff committee? Maybe. There are crazy fans in college football. Anything's possible. Uh, and if I were to guess, if for whatever reason Stanford is like ranked in the top three, we know why. Because they <laughs> clearly did something to manipulate the rankings. Well, if anybody needs manipulating in the rankings, it's BYU. And this goes hand in hand with the Pac 12. Washington State, Washington, the Apple Cup, uh, postponed or canceled this week with Washington State's COVID uh, situation. Washington's looking for another opponent after last week's decision by the conference to allow non-conference games if they meet the criteria of the Pac-12. Therefore, BYU and their anyone, anytime, any place motto last week has come into question overnight. And Washington asked for a, a matchup. BYU has the chance to go play a Power 5 opponent. It would be their only Power 5 opponent on this schedule to bolster their strength of schedule. Sounds like they have turned it down and aren't going to accept. What's your thought process around this? Is Washington, does Washington need a game like that to bolster their schedule? Or does BYU yeah, just need to simply let it go? No, I think it'd be mutually beneficial, Rhino. Like, I really do. I mean, I think Washington could stand to benefit just for the additional game. And, of course, we know BYU would benefit from having a win potentially against a well-respected Washington team. Uh, the problem is, right now, the Pac-12 – um, what's kind of being floated out there, but not really talked about that much. They're kind of making it out to be as though BYU turned down the game. That's partly true, but partly untrue because Washington still reserves the right to cancel Saturday's game because prioritizing games within the league is of the utmost importance. So for instance, right. if they were to be able to play against, uh, let's just so Arizona state out there, whatever. I mean, I, just throwing them out there. That would take priority over BYU. So BYU would be would have a game canceled. Um, and they would obviously go to the go through the cost of of booking a plane and travel and hotels, and they would eventually they would obviously lose money uh in that circumstance, which I actually think the Pac 12's doing the right thing. Like you should take care of your own before you worry other about others. Like Arizona State needs a game worse. Larry Scott cares more about Arizona State getting a game than he should about BYU. So yeah. I think the Pac-12 is doing what they're supposed to do, and I really don't blame BYU for saying, I mean, we're going to get the rug pulled out from under us. We already had it pulled out from under us earlier this year against Army because we had a couple positive tests. So uh, 
just not worth it at this point. I think they realize too that this is kind of very short notice. Don't be surprised though if BYU can get a game scheduled against a team like Cincinnati on December 5th. They both have that date open. BYU does have a game on the 12th uh, against San Diego State. But if for whatever reason that game can't be played, then that's also an open date. And of course, BYU is open on the 19th as well. So I think those three weeks are a little more likely. I think this was just a little bit too last minute. And I think Pac-12 still kind of trying to iron out their process of, all right, how should we do this with teams that are having rapid cancellations? Like they were able to schedule UCLA Cal on the fly. It was amazing. I mean, amazing. Credit to them for being able to pull that off. You alluded earlier to this potential clear-cut path for the college football playoff for the Pac-12. Um, to me, it feels like the, the conference needs help from the, out, from the outside, right? Northwestern, we'll see what happens with them in Ohio State. We'll see what happens with Clemson and Notre Dame, Florida A&M, Alabama. How do you evaluate those three programs? Um, in your mind, will the Pac-12 get some benefit of the doubt from the committee? Uh, and if it doesn't, what does the conference need to do? Because we talked, Ryan and I talked about Washington needs, a, needs to be ranked at the end of the season for Oregon to beat them convincingly and then, you know, rank play, rank USC in the Pac-12 championship. Is, is there another avenue that you sort of see for this conference to convince the committee to give them that benefit of the doubt to get into the college football playoff? Yeah, here's the big thing that they need. Uh, it's not really up to them, which is kind of unfortunate. Uh, but they are the, the product of not having a game against Ohio State like Oregon was supposed to have, a game against Alabama like USC was supposed to have. Like They are on the losing end of this whole deal. Um, but here's what they really need. They need chalk to fly. They need Alabama to beat Florida. They need Notre Dame to beat Clemson a second time. They need Ohio State to run the table. Those three are obvious, all right? They need those three positions locked up. They need the fourth spot to be open and for them to have an undefeated champion at 7-0, and having just beaten another really solid team, say, for instance, USC or Oregon, doesn't really matter. They're both undefeated at the finish line. That's a great situation for the Pac-12. You couldn't draw it up any better. And then you find yourself playing in a big conference championship game. Winner gets the boost, and then they find their way in. Where the Pac-12 is going to be in a difficult spot is if Clemson avenges the loss to Notre Dame and then Notre Dame and Clemson both get in. Or if Florida beats Alabama, and then Florida and Alabama both get in. That's the scary part if I'm a Pac-12 fan, knowing I want to get a team in for the first time in quite a while, but it's still a little bit out of my hands because we've postponed the season and our body of work might not stack up because we just won't have the data points that some of the other teams might have. As always... As always, Greg McElroy is on top of everything college football. So I want to say thank you again, brother, for uh, being a part of our show. And uh, have a great call this week. Who do you got? Uh, we are heading to Morgantown, West Virginia uh, on ABC Prime, which I'm pretty excited about. I haven't been there in like five years. And they, they're playing pretty good. And they got Oklahoma, who's steaming hot, coming to town this week. So uh, hopefully we have some drama there in Milan Pushkar Stadium. We'll see. It should be exciting. I haven't been there in a while, though, and it's going to be 30 degrees and freezing and football-y. It's going to be just very football-y. I can't wait for it. Oh, we'll think warm thoughts for you here on the West Coast, Greg. Thank you so much <laughs> for taking the time. Take care. All right. Thanks, guys, for having me. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that's the show. 
Big thanks to Greg McElroy from ESPN for joining us and talking some great college football conversation. For Ryan Leaf, my name is Jonathan Rifkin. Have a great Thanksgiving, everybody. We'll be back at the end of the week to preview another week of Pac-12 football right here on Believe in the Pac-12 on the Believe Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.